I love Grace because I think that it's a safe place for me to grow in my faith. I like Grace Church because there's some fun activities around here. And there's good children that help people and there's good kids my age. I think what I love about Grace Church is that when I moved here from Brazil, they welcomed me and I felt loved and that made a huge difference and I knew since the first time I came here that I wouldn't be alone. The reason I love Grace Church is because of the love that Grace Church has. If it wasn't for Grace Church, I don't think my family would be together today. I love Grace Church because I'm constantly learning new things. I love Grace because of the atmosphere. You walk through the door and everyone just has a big smile on their face and they're just excited to be here. It's, it's a great feeling. Billy Jane and I were both um, Christians when we got married and we figured that while we weren't sure what we would do for the rest of our lives, we knew that whatever God was going to call us to do would be a mix between something that fit who we were, how we were wired, uh, what we were passionate about, what we cared about, and something that would help other people uh, either benefit or know and follow Jesus. My passion were kids who, um, not the churchy types, uh, kids who struggled either with faith, with, with um, fitting in. Um, so I figured that if I had a master's degree in education, a curriculum development, that that would help me help students find, find answers. And it was during um, the process of me getting my degree that I had a chance to come to Boston and teach at a, at a Christian college. When Billie Jean and I finally made a decision to move here, uh, we sold our house. I uh, quit my job at the church that we were working at in another state. Uh, we broke down in a U-Haul three times on the way out here to Boston. <laughs> and I remember the last time that we broke down, I were on the side of the road and I looked over at Billy Jane and uh, I said, you know what's scary? I probably shouldn't have said this, but I said, you know what's scary? She said, what? I said, I'm still only 75% sure we're doing the right thing. Uh, which might not have been the best thing to say to a wife after I've already quit my job and already sold our house. <laughs> Uh, but she said this, she said, Sean, if we're doing the wrong thing, at least we're doing the wrong thing for the right reason. And I think that God will bless that. So we moved into Stoughton um, because it was close to, I mean, relatively close to the college I was going to be working at. For the first time in my life, though, the overwhelming majority of all of my friends uh, were, were great people, but would probably have classified themselves as spiritually disconnected. Um, most of the places I'd ever lived, I'd surrounded myself with people that shared my worldview, uh, people who went to the same church I did or you know, had the same type of religious background that I did, but uh, here in Stoughton it wasn't the case. And so Billie Jane and I began praying that God would bring somebody into the area who would start a life-giving, family-oriented, Jesus-focused church. Uh, so we, we talked to friends who are pastors and, you know, come out here and start a church. And, and uh, finally, Billy Jane one day said, well, maybe God already sent somebody here to start a church. And I was like, who? And she said, maybe it's us. We started having conversations with people that, uh, where, where they were expressing an interest in being part of a, a new church. Um, a lot of it was happening in one particular week. And at the end of the week, our neighbors across the street, who we'd become really good friends with and today even they're 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 one of our best friends 
uh, had a friend go through a, a crisis situation. And so we uh, went with our neighbor to go visit her friend. And um, our neighbor believed in God, but just was spiritually um, disconnected. And um, she was the one who was talking to her friend. And she said, you know, you need to be in a Bible study. If Sean and Billy Jane started a Bible study in their house, would you go to it? And she said um, that she would if, if she and her, her husband would go to it with her. So she said that she would, and then she looked over at me and she goes, okay, Sean. And then for my wife and I, praying for God to send somebody else here to do this, when you have a friend that you love, that you care a lot about, straight up say, would you please teach me about God? <laughs> you, you, you can't say no to that. She wanted to know more about God and we felt we should have that conversation. We just didn't know the conversation was gonna grow the way that it did. Like 54 different churches around the country jumped in to help Grace Church get going. And a huge blessing and took care of our family for the first four years of Grace Church's existence. Brian and Taylor became a part of Grace Church without any pay and they were volunteers for the first few years and worked side jobs and started businesses and became entrepreneurs and just doing whatever it took to keep food on the table while offering their lives to help people here in this community know and follow Jesus. You know, Pastor Ken quit a job at a large church in the Midwest and moved out here and Grace Church didn't have the money to pay for him. We had enough in the budget, we were giving him $200 a week to work at Grace Church full time with three kids while making $8.35 at BJ's. And our church is full of people like that, just full. I mean, I'm not the pastor because I'm more godly than anybody. It just fits my skill set, what God's wired me to do. But God's wired everybody in this building to do something. And uh, the better we each get at figuring out how to use what we're good at for God's glory and for the good of others, the more of a difference we'll make in the world and specifically the more difference we'll make in this part of the world. I'll tell you what I'm most excited about. What I'm most excited about is people getting an opportunity to know and follow Jesus. So what I want to spend the next 20, 25, 30 years of my life doing is making sure that nobody lives more than 10 minutes away from a life-giving, Jesus-centered, Bible-focused church. I think that God's blessed us too much not to take an active role in making sure that this happens. Just like when we started that first Bible study, I couldn't know exactly where we'd be 10 years from then, which is now. I don't know right now where we're going to be 10 years from now. But what I know is that God's plan isn't to just make Grace Church awesome. That's never been the goal. The goal has always been to give as many people an opportunity to know and follow Jesus as possible. And I believe that He has blessed Grace Church so that we can be positioned to make that happen. Hi, my name is Sean. I'm the pastor here at Grace Church, and everybody's been saying happy birthday to me or happy anniversary or whatever, but I'm not Grace Church. We're Grace Church, so I need to say back to you guys, happy anniversary, happy birthday. Um, kind of a neat thing. What, what, I, what I love is that... Um, uh, you know, you, you guys saw pictures of uh, different stages of our church. By the way, how many guys saw the, uh, anybody recognize the poker chips? Raise your hand. Anybody? That few of you guys? 
Really? Okay, like, so we had like a Friday night Texas Hold'em Bible study because uh, yeah, I had to pay bills. So there's like a $200 buy-in and uh, I'm just kidding. Here's 300 I was like, you know, because, you know, I don't play for no chump change. No, I, I, you know, I wanted to have spiritual conversations with some of my friends and I wasn't going to say, hey, you want to come over to my house and talk about Jesus? Because, <laughs> no, I don't. Would you stop talking to me? <laughs> Like, I'm religious, and if you said, hey, you want to come over to my house and talk about Jesus, I'd say no, and I'm a preacher. Um, but like anybody who wants to just hang out and play, you know, Texas Hold'em or whatever, that's back kind of when, like, the Texas Hold'em craze, like, we could actually watch it in prime time on ESPN. Poker was on ESPN as a sport. I don't know if anybody caught that, but it was, like, really big for a few years, and um, so I just invited friends over. Uh, we'd, we'd play cards, and, uh, you know, somebody'd go all in, and I'd go, are you all in for G? No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> See, that would have been cheesy. So, but if you just hang out with people, guess what comes up? Important things come up in conversations, and I don't care if you're an atheist. It, truthfully, if you're an atheist, you're more obsessed with religion than probably most Christians. That's sadly, but it's, it's probably true. And the thing is, is, is uh, it's just that we don't talk about important things to people that we're not comfortable around. You know what I mean? We'll talk about religion. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about all kinds of important things as long as the person we're talking to is somebody that we trust that's a friend. So um, that was just a way for me to, to make friends. And if it turned into spiritual conversations, great. And Carlos Rodriguez, who was uh, one of the guys in the, in the poker picture, um, he was also the guy, if you were here, right after the first song um, that had uh, the, the video about, you know, what, what God's been doing. He's, he's the guy with the beard. Uh, he's Portuguese from Brazil, and he, uh, Brazilian speaks Portuguese, but he said, uh, if it wasn't for Grace Church, my family wouldn't be together. Uh, do you guys remember that guy with the beard? Uh, Carlos, actually, uh, at, at, it was at one of the Texas Hold'em Bible studies where Carlos kind of felt like he really needed to get serious about his faith, turn from sin, and call on God to forgive him for all the stuff he'd done and, and ask Jesus to rescue him from that and help him to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. So, And then Carlos ended up uh, just, really, man, there's all kinds of really, really cool stories. When uh, I lost my job at the college when we started the church, uh, the 54 churches that kind of jumped on board with us hadn't started. I mean, a few of them had just started hopping on board with us as a church to help pay our bills at the beginning. And, uh, but the Grace Church wasn't paying my salary enough. And that didn't, like, the first four years, my salary didn't come from Grace Church. I was a volunteer like everybody else. Um, and just you doing whatever I, I it, it, you know, we flipped a house during that time in, in uh, Randolph. We uh, went to real estate school. You just, you know, you just do what you got to do. You know what I mean? I mean, we've all been in a place like that. If you haven't, you will be someday. You just do what it takes. And uh, there was a church down in Rhode Island. The pastor invited me down for lunch and said, you know, we're not going to be able to jump on with your church right now. And so I was like, all right, you know, that's fine. I said, but would you come back to the office with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we went back to the office, and, and his church wrote us a personal check for $5,000 and said, this isn't for your church, this is for your family. And what he didn't know is that my mortgage was due that week, and we didn't have the money to pay our mortgage. But see, he didn't need to know that, because you know who did? God knew that. You know what I mean? I mean, there's been like, in the moment, it never looks like God, but in the rearview mirror, you know it was. You know what I'm saying? He only looks like God in the rearview mirror because when you're out the front window, it all just looks scary as crap. And just like, this is just a coincidence. Just a, but I just need a whole lot more coincidences. And it just seems like the more I follow the voice of God in my heart and the more risks I'll take for God's glory and the good of others, the more coincidences I get to go through. Um, 
when we, uh, one of my favorite stories is our last practice, we had two practice church services at uh, the Holiday Inn in Brockton before we wanted to like invite everybody, right, before we invited uh, strangers and, and stuff or put the word out kind of a deal. And it was at our second practice service that uh, on a Sunday morning, there was, I guess there'd been like a huge like raging party at Holiday Inn on Saturday night. Because uh, there were a lot of empties and all the trash cans that hadn't been thrown out yet. And when we got there, some of the staff was still cleaning up from the party the night before. And during the rehearsal, there was a drunk dude who walked into the, into the, uh, into the little ballroom where the band was, was practicing. And um, he goes, uh, he just walks in and uh, scoots up. Like, you ever been around somebody who's an alcoholic and like, like, you don't have to smell their breath to know that they're, like, they just like comes out of their skin. I mean, that's just like, that's not a dude who just got drunk one time. That's a dude who lives his life drunk, sadly, but you could just smell the dude from like three, four feet away. So he walked over up to the stage and he was bigger than me, so I let him. <laughs> that's back before we had Pastor Ken, who's like a ninja and he's always carrying and he's got a knife in his boot and like we got other ninjas in our church now and you know, we got a security team and all that kind of, back then it was just me and if you were bigger than me, you could rob us. That's just the way it was going to be. And I was just, you know, going to dive over my family and hope you kill somebody. Okay, this is a horrible. Can I move on? Because, like, none of that happened. I'm just saying, the dude just walks up to the stage. I didn't stop him. He scooted over the backup singer, pulled out a harmonica, and stinking tore it up. We were blues traveler for, like, 10 minutes. It was great. Like, this, and the dude, I, like, I don't even know if he's, well, he's probably not very religious, right? The guy lives, dr- I mean, maybe, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to judge him. I'm just saying, sober, the guy was probably a horrible musician, but drunk, he was awesome. You ever know somebody who's like that? Okay, this guy was that way. Then he left, and I was like, hey, man, what's your name? He's like, my name's Bear. You can call me Bear. So call me, and I'm like, okay, Bear, I got it. And I said, hey, you want to stick around? He's like, no, I'm all set. So the guy walks out. And we thought that was the end of it. So then the services started. We've sung, uh, you know, the first two songs. Here's the third song. I think Bear was in the hallway waiting for his cue. <laughs> so we're in the middle of the service. Bear walks in again. Scoots up. People are like looking around like, like, like people who weren't here for rehearsals. Like, is this supposed to be happening? And, you know, the worship team's kind of playing it cool. I'm playing it cool. They're looking at me and I'm like, roll with it. We'll see where this goes, right? Maybe he can be our worship leader from now on. I don't know. <laughs> Just as long as he stays drunk, he's fine. I know this is horrible to say. He scoots over, does the same thing, plays, walks. The song is over. He walks off the platform, waving like the Queen of England at everybody. So like, he's like walking really slowly. And so like we, all right, we just all started clapping for the guy. He gets out into the hallway. I start my sermon. I'm five minutes into the sermon and he sticks his head back in and he goes, hey, Reverend. <laughs> Everybody's all like, look over it, right? And he goes, uh, hey, Reverend. I said, yeah, Bear. He goes, uh, when will your services get over? And I said, in about 30 minutes. And he goes, good. I'd like to conclude your services with a little song that I wrote that I like to call Amen. <laughs> so we finished in 25 minutes and got our butts out of there real quick. Might have been the shortest sermon I've ever preached at Grace Church. It was Carlos, the guy who came to faith or committed to faith in Jesus at Texas Hold'em after the church got started. uh, I had known Carlos from uh, Stoughton Soccer. Uh, My oldest and his his youngest had been on the soccer team together as second graders. And uh, this was a couple of years later. And I'd seen Carlos at Stoyak and a few other basketball things or little league things around town. And every time we saw each other, we were like, hey, hey, you know, kind of like the way dads who don't know each other do. 
when they see somebody that they kind of know. And like our, our kids are friends, so we should, you know, not be jerks to each other. We'll be cool when we see each other. But we don't really have much, you know, uh, outside connections to make us buddies or whatever. He brought Jacob up to our house on, on um, Valentine's, or not Valentine's Day, <laughs> to give us a Valentine card <laughs> on uh, uh, Halloween. And uh, so after the last service, the last practice service with Bear, uh, the very next weekend, the first weekend in, in November was our launch service, like a, a kickoff service. And uh, so I told everybody, you know, invite anybody you know that you think would be interested. You know, we're not trying to cram anything down anybody's throats, but we operate from the assumption that God is already at work in people's hearts, drawing them to himself. We think that God loves people more than people can love people. You know what I mean? And that God loves even people that other people don't love. And so we just need our antennas up. You know what I mean? Just looking, just, just aware of the conversations that we're having around us and where this could potentially lead. And so I had said that in the last service. And so Carlos and, and Jacob were on our front porch and then you know, Michelle was standing by the sidewalk and, and I felt in my heart, didn't hear an audible voice or nothing, but I felt like you should invite them to come to church. And I'm like, no, because I'm gonna see him again, right? Like I can invite a stranger, but like there's people that you've known for years. You're like, I don't wanna all of a sudden get like religious on him because then like he's gonna think I'm a nut and then he's never gonna wanna hang out with me again. And then when we go to soccer, he's gonna tell all the other soccer dads I'm a religious freak. I'm not gonna have any friends. Like I was afraid of all of this. So he turns around and like all this is going out of my head. And I'm like, huh, huh, huh? Here's your kind of, like I'm having a conversation with another person while inside I'm having a completely different conversation arguing with me. I'm like, you should invite them. I'm like, I'm not because I don't wanna be that guy right? They're walking off the porch. He's like, well, you should invite them. And then I'm like, uh, it's too late. They're already off our, off our property. Well, they're just right there. Well, I know, but now they're knocking on Glenn and Tiffany's door. Well, maybe Glenn and Tiffany will invite them, right? Glenn and Tiffany, they're the people that had that friend, that, the good Samaritan that we had said, you know, will you start this Bible study for us? And so I was like, well, they'll do it. And then, you know, they didn't do it either. And I didn't do it. And like, I see them like, well, it's too late now, Right? I'm like, but it's not too late. They're just right there. I know, but it's across the street. Like, you ever done this? Am I the only one who? There's no voices in my head. I'm not crazy. I'm just like, I've got like the, like the, 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 the part that's driven, I think, by God's Holy Spirit and the part that's driven by my own self-interest that are constantly like duking it out. And, uh, you know, then they went to Savannah's house, but it wasn't Savannah at the time. It was somebody, a guy named Ed. And then, you know, they're knocking on that door, and then they leave that one. I'm like, well, it's definitely too late. I'm like, but you can still... Like, if they had ever turned around and looked at the front door, I'd have completely looked like a weird stalker just, like, watching them everywhere they went, <laughs> like this. So I, I ran off. I was like, you know, if I don't do this, then, then nobody should. Like, if the, if the preacher won't, you know what I mean? So I, you know, I run off the porch, run down the street, catch up to Carlos and Michelle, and I'm like, hey... <laughs> Hey, listen, uh, this weekend, uh, well, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we're starting a church. The first Sunday is this Sunday. It's going to be at the Holiday Inn in Brockton, and I just wanted to invite you. But if you don't want to come, that's okay. I understand. Goodbye. <laughs> I didn't do it exactly like that. But remember, if you're a dude in junior high and you asked that girl to dance with you the first time, and you're like, hey, you want to dance? But if you don't, that's cool. I didn't really want to dance with you anyway. <laughs> you ever done that? Do you like me? Check yes or no. But if you want to say no, I kind of, that's fine. That's fine. That's really okay. I'll just wish I was dead. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody ever do? Okay, so that's like the way this felt. Like, you guys want to come with us to church? Or not, because I know I sound like a weirdo. Okay, then Michelle slaps Carlos on the arm and go, just yesterday we were saying that we need to get the boys in church and we didn't know where we were going to go. We'll be there. Now, did I know they had that conversation yesterday? But who did? You see what I'm saying? I mean, there's like a million little stories like that. So my neighbors behind us, Lauren and Garrett used to play in their swimming pool all the time. 
had no idea that on our very first Easter service, Bim and Mary would come, and it was on their very first service that they would choose to uh, turn from personal brokenness and sin, disobedience to God and selfishness towards their fellow man to begin following Jesus. He shows up at my house uh, Easter afternoon knocking on my door, and I'm like, hey, Bim and Mary, what's up? And he's like, what's next? I'm like, what do you mean what's next? He's like, we're all in. Like, what do we do now? It's crazy, right? And then over the course of time, Glenn and Tiffany uh, became followers of Jesus and were baptized here at Grace Church. And Bim and Mary and Carlos and Michelle, I'm giving it to you in order. And then across the street, three doors down, uh, Dave and Michelle Massarelli. And then across the street, next door, Michelle. And then our next door neighbors, Jeff and Susan, had just started coming with their son, uh, Andrew. And then uh, they moved to Kansas City. And, and I mean, I don't know, maybe they've, I, I, I don't know where any of my neighbors are in their relationship with God. And that's, you know, and I'm not trying to judge anybody. I just want to make sure that the people that I love and care about get at least an opportunity to if they haven't. You know what I mean? So it's not my job to say who's in and who's out. That's God's day, God's job, but he does that on judgment day. You know what I mean? There's, there's, you've got tons of stories that I don't know, and someday I really do hope to hear your story. If you're in a life group, please share your, your story uh, in life group this week, and your life group leaders will pass those stories uh, on, on to me. I'd, I'd, I'd like to, in my own heart, celebrate the awesomeness of God in, in your life, too, because what we're doing is bigger than any one of us. It's bigger than, than all of us together. Uh, all six states of New England are in the top 10 least religious states in the country, and that's not because God cares about us less than everybody else. You know what I mean? He doesn't love people in the South or in the Midwest more than he loves people up here. God's got a plan, and his plan involves all of us, each of us, and, and, and you might not even be religious, and you lost a bet. Maybe that's why you're here. I don't know. But I would say that God's plan includes you too. And I don't think you're here by accident. I don't think it works that way. Like, I think that God adores you, that he's been working behind the scenes all along to bring you to a moment where you could find out what he's done on your behalf, right? Now, there's three passages of Scripture that have become the filter through which we run all decisions, so what I wanted to do with the remaining time that we have is I wanted to show you those three passages of Scripture. And my hope is that one of these three, if not all three of them, will resonate with who you are also. And if these could become a part of the filter through which you make the decisions on the way that you live your life, I think that would be a win for all of us. So if you've got your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't, the verses will be on the screen. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5... Uh, we call it 2 Corinthians. Paul didn't call it that when he originally wrote it. Paul went through Greece starting churches, uh, giving everybody that he could, an that he had an opportunity to talk to at least, an opportunity to know and to follow Jesus also. And when, you know, three or four of them would begin following Jesus, he'd bring them together so they could get together as a group to encourage each other in their faith and then live throughout the week on mission as followers of Jesus in a world that's broken and dysfunctional. Being like little lights of hope and love and generosity and forgiveness it, to people that maybe don't feel loved or, 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 or haven't behaved in a way that deserves forgiveness because we recognize that we didn't deserve forgiveness either and then God gave us what we don't deserve so we'll be happy to give to others what they don't deserve. If God's not gonna hold that against us, we won't hold that against others kind of a thing and because they lived this way, it became contagious. In fact, we have extra biblical records of Caesar saying that one of the things that blew his mind about the followers of Christos, Christ is that not only were they generous and kind to the poor, the infirmed, and the aged of their own sect, 
he said, but they also take care of the widows and the orphans who are Romans who don't believe like they do. That's what it, they, they actually just lived like Jesus and it, and it, and it worked. It made a difference. It, it changed, it changed the world. So Paul, after he starts these churches, writes a letter back to them and, and, and talks about what it looks like to turn from our disobedience towards God and selfishness towards our fellow man to begin following Jesus. And then what that looks like in relationship with each other. That's the first book that he wrote to the church of Corinth. So we call that first Corinthians. And then he wrote a second letter to them that we call the second letter to the Corinthians. And it's in the second letter, he assumes a few things that he doesn't assume in the first letter to them. In the second letter, he assumes that they already recognize their personal sinfulness, that they already recognize that on judgment day, they're going to say, when God says, are you innocent or guilty of breaking my commands, that they'll say guilty. I mean, I think all of us would, would admit that probably, that you know what the commandments are. If you don't, you probably have heard of a few of them. Don't have any other gods but me. But how many of us have ever made something more important than God? This past week, this weekend, you see what I'm saying? I mean, we live making other things more important than God. The second one is, is don't pray to anybody, don't bow down to anybody, don't, don't pray to anybody but me. But how many of us have ever prayed, don't raise your hand, but how many of us have ever prayed to, to Mary or prayed to one of the other saints or prayed to a, a grandmother that we tried to talk to who is in heaven? And that, you may not know, but that's a violation of the second commandment. The third commandment is, is don't, don't break or don't, you, don't, don't take my name in vain. We've broken that one. And the fourth one is always set aside one day to worship me. And how many of us have ever get the opportunity to set aside one day a week to devote to worshiping God, and that's all of us too. And then in five, and dishonoring your mom and dad, we've all done that one, and then we think we're okay when it gets to the murder part, right? Right? <laughs> the dude who didn't answer, scoot away from now. <laughs> Raise your hand and point to security. Um, but we think we're all right with that. And then Jesus goes on to say that if you've ever hated somebody, you're guilty of murder in your heart. Well, dang it, if I'm screwed, if I'm, if I'm going to be judged, like you'll judge me on what I do. You can't judge me on what I think. You know what I mean? Bro, if my wife could judge me on what I think, she'd have left me a long time ago. You see what I'm saying? Right? But if God judges me on what I think too, then I am a murder. If he says that hate is equal to murder in your heart, and then lust is equal to adultery, and then I know I've lied. I've stolen answers from tests. I've stolen research for essay papers, right? I've stolen from, well, I haven't, I'm afraid of the government. I haven't stolen on my taxes, but I'm just like, I don't mess with your, pay your taxes. Um, that's, you see what I'm saying? I'm like, I, we, I've stolen though, and, and I've, I've wished that other people's stuff was mine, and I'm 10 commandments in, and I'm 10 commandments guilty. So if God is a good God, he won't let guilty people go free. Not if he's good. He'll give us what we deserve, and that's hell. All of us. I deserve that. Separation from God. The absence of God. That's exactly what I deserve. But it's because I'm not going to get what I do deserve that's changed my life. It's the recognition of what God's done in my heart. Paul takes that for granted that they already have come to that place. And that's what he talks about in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 11, actually. But we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. See, if you had been on Titanic and had, you know, sunk and you're floating around in the icy waters of the North Atlantic and somebody come along with a rowboat and it yanked your butt into the boat, it is now incumbent upon you to do what? Yank other people into the boat. Forgiven people forgive people. Loved people love people. Hated people hate people. Hurt people hurt people. We get this. Like, you don't have to be religion to understand this. You don't have to be religious, Right? 
This makes sense to all of us probably. He says, if you've been rescued from the consequences of your own sinfulness, your own disobedience to God and your selfishness to other men, then it is incumbent upon you to give other people that you love and care about. Man, this shapes the way I view the world. Now, it was when, it was when I was nine that I made a, I, I recognized that I had done bad things. I mean, I hadn't murdered anybody, you know, yet. I mean, stabbed a few, but hadn't murdered, they didn't die, so... I'm kidding, I didn't do any of that. I was nine, all right? Um, I'm just saying I hadn't done a lot of horrible things, but I had done bad things, and I knew that my bad things would keep me separated from God, and that Jesus had died on the cross to pay for my bad things. I mean, I knew enough. So I asked Jesus to forgive me, to take away all of my sin, to clean up my heart and help me to follow him with the rest of my life. And that's when God's spirit moved into my life. But it wasn't until I was 15 that, I, that it became like, like I recognized what this was going to cost me. And I decided, whatever my life looks like, it will be for the glory of God and for the good of others. You know? I mean, I knew it was incumbent upon me. And I had two friends who were disconnected from God that I was really close to, Greg Flug and Jeff Deal. Jeff Deal and I, he lived on my street. Greg Flug dated Ty Lu, and Ty Lu was the most beautiful Vietnamese girl I'd ever seen in my entire life. I had a crush on her. She started coming to youth group. Her and Greg had broken up. I had a crush on her, started flirting with her. Greg had heard about me, and he started coming to youth group too. I think he was going to try to kick my butt, which I'm glad he didn't because he was bigger than me too, right? But then we ended up becoming friends. and never dated Tai Lu, but Greg and I became buddies. And it wasn't until I was a senior in high school that both of those guys went to camp, and it was at the same youth camp that both of them made a personal decision to turn from their own sin and begin following Jesus too. So you don't have to wait until you're out of high school. You don't have to wait until you become an adult or get married or, or graduate college or pick a career or, or even to find a job, right? I mean, you've got what you've got now, and which brings me to the second point that I want to show you, and that's in Matthew chapter 25. So that, that first one, the responsibility that I have as a rescued person to give opportunities of rescue to other people shapes everything that we do here at Grace Church. We recognize that we've been blessed to be a blessing. That's why every single week when we take up the offerings at the end, we say that those of us who recognize God's generosity in our life are generous back to God through this church family. But if you showed up and need it today of generosity, you came to the right church. So if you don't have any groceries in your pantry, about to have your power shut off, or, you're, or you don't have... Uh, or your kids need clothes, we can help you today, but we're not mind readers. The ball's in your court. You need to see us after the service that we can help you, right? We've said that. The very first offering Grace Church ever took up as a church family was not to pay any bill. It was to give to a single mom in our church who had four, three kids uh, who had lost her job, had gotten another job, but she wasn't going to get a paycheck for another three weeks, and her rent was already late. Our very first offering, 100% of it was given to that girl. That's what, that's what we're here for. Rescued people, rescue people. Blessed people, bless people. Are you with me? Forgive people, forgiven people. That's what it looks like to be. We just do it together because when each of us pull everything together, we can do a whole lot more than what any one of us can do on our own. That's what this is about. Which leads me to the second passage of Scripture, which is Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 25, I don't have time to read the passage of Scripture, but it starts in verse 14 and it ends at 27. God says, Jesus says, you know how God sees the world? He says, it's like this. It's like a master who calls together his, his three servants and he's got, he divides up all of his resources into eight bags of silver. 
And he's going to split this up between his three servants. And he gives to each one of them, not according to how much he loves them, but he gives to each one of them according to what he knows they could handle. So he gives to the first servant five of the eight bags, more than half. He gives to the second guy two of the eight bags, and he gives to the third guy only one bag. But he gives that to them because it's what he knows they can handle. Now, see, we look at what we've given, and we think that it reflects how much or how little God loves us. But it's not the case. That's why this passage of Scripture informs our worldview, why this has become a part of the filter through which we make decisions, that I have been given exactly what God wants me to have, not a bag more, not a bag less. I have the opportunities God wants me to have right now, not an opportunity more, not an opportunity less. The intelligence I have, the IQ I have, the education I have, all of this has been given to me by God. Now, some of us might say, no, that opportunity I got myself. I went out and I worked my butt off. I used my own two hands to pull my boots up. Scripture says uh, in, in the Torah, in the first part of the Bible, where it says, be careful, those of you who say that by my own two hands have I gained my wealth. He says, who gave you your two hands? Which one of you chose not to be born with Down syndrome? Which one of you chose not to be born with cerebral palsy? Which one of you chose not to be born mentally handicapped? Who chose? Why aren't you autistic? Is that because you chose not to be? What, like, what, whatever. Who chose? Like, so, so why do you have such a high IQ? Did you pick that? You see what I'm saying? All any of us have are the bags of silver that God gave us. And all we've done in our life is just because we've leveraged what he gave us in the first place, which is what you see in the story. So the first guy who has five bags goes out. By the way, the master doesn't tell him what to do with the five bags. Just the servant knew where he got the five bags. The servant knew these come from the master, and I'm going to be held accountable for what I do with it. So the guy figures it out. Surely not everything he tried worked, but he kept working at it, and he got good at it, and he turned the five bags into ten bags. So when the master comes back and holds all three of his servants to account, first guy says, Master, you gave me five. I went out, and I got five more. Now, he didn't have to say that, did he? He could have said, I got out in three more. Who here would be happy with a 60% return on your investments? Raise your hand. Oh, my word. Dude, if you get more than 10% this year, you're happy. Am I right? 60%? Master would be happy with that. He could have held back two bags private. I said, these are mine. I'm going to do with these what I want. But he knew that even those belonged to the master. So because he recognized that all that he had to start with came from the master, and then all that he did and all that he got with what the master had given him still belonged to the master, he said, master, you gave me five, and he gave all 10 back to the master, and here are 10 that are yours. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. You'll be faithful with much. Enter into the joy of your reward. The second guy comes up, and he's the guy with the two bags. He said, Master, you gave me two, and I went out, and I got two more. Here are your four bags. And here's what I love. The master says the exact same thing to the second guy as he did to the first guy. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over little. You'll be faithful over much. Enter into the joy of your reward. So both of them gave 100% of what they had back to the master. They both enter eternity with the master with the exact same reward. You know why I love that so much? is because it is possible for me to get in eternity the exact same reward as Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. So they were given five bags. Guess what they were responsible for? Five bags. I was given two. I ain't responsible for five. The master ain't going to hold me accountable for five. He's going to hold me accountable for two. But homeboy, best rock those two. Right? But if I rock those two, 
Billy Graham gives it all back to God. Mother Teresa gives it all back to God. I give it all back to God. All three of us are in the same seating section in heaven, high-fiving each other. Right? Or we're like the third guy who has one and goes, it's not fair. Why didn't I get that opportunity? Why don't I have a better job? Why didn't I have better parents? Why didn't my parents stay together? Why didn't I get that opportunity? Why didn't I? I want their bags. So you know what he does? He goes and buries his bag and doesn't do anything with it. And the truth is, as long as we're looking at everybody else's bags, what are, whose bags are we not doing anything with? Right, well, truthfully, we can't do anything with theirs anyway. But we're definitely not doing anything with ours. And so we end up like that third guy. Master comes and says, wicked, lazy, slothful servant. Take that bag away and give it to somebody who will actually do something with it. And I don't want to be like that joker. So here's what I know. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. What it looks like for me is to be faithful with every opportunity. And if my spiritually disconnected but awesome neighbors ask me to do a Bible study with them, how can I say no? You know what I'm saying? Now I recognize that my job at Keebler wasn't just to pay off my student loans. My job at Keebler was given to me by God because there were all kinds of sales reps and grocery store clerks that were distant from God that needed them. So what did God do? He put my butt right in the middle of them. Now there's purpose to living on Seaver Street. And living on Seaver Street isn't just to have a nice place to raise my kids in a cool town like Stoughton. Now there's a reason for you to live in Randolph. There's a reason why you live in Brockton. There's a reason why you look for, work for Siemens. There's a reason why you're in education. There's a reason why you're in sales. There's a reason why you work for the hospital. Because you're surrounded by people who are broken and who are desperately in need of what they can't do for themselves. Because what's most broken in people is not their marriages. It's not their relationships with their family. It's not their poverty. It's not their education. What's most broken in mankind is our hearts. And we can't touch that. Bro, we've been remodeling the outside every single year our whole lives, and it hasn't gotten us anywhere. You know what I mean? What I need is a complete rebuild, not a remodel. And only Jesus can do that. And I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for Seaver Street. I'm not responsible for Randolph. I don't live in Randolph. But I know who is. You. And what I know is that you might not be called to be a pastor. And that's God's plan. He doesn't want you to be. That's why he puts you where you're at. Because there's people right now where you're at who are distant from God that God adores more than you. That's one of your bags of silver. Do you get what I'm saying? This shapes us. And I know it's scary when you finally put yourself out there, right? You know, you, you look at your hand and you're like, it's not a royal flush. I got a pair of queens. I don't know if I really should bet this hand. I want to cash it in and get, get a new, and you don't get any new cards. You just get the hard cards you're dealt. But what you're responsible for is playing the hand you've been dealt like a freaking champ. Go all in. And that's, that's scary as, as get out, isn't it? And that leads me to the third and final verse I wanted to share with you, and that's in the book of Hebrews. If you've got your Bible, go to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, For uh, it is impossible to please God without faith. And we think, all right, well, I have faith. I believe in God, so I'm all set. Now listen, he says it's impossible. What pleases God? Nothing pleases God unless it's done by faith. So it would be important for us to define faith. 
So we would say that faith is belief in God. But does Satan believe in God, yes or no? If there is a God and there is a Satan, does he believe in God, yes or no? Yes. But is that dude right with God? Does that dude please God? No. He believes in God more than you. Satan believes in God more than me. Satan actually saw Jesus raised from the dead, so he believes in the resurrection even more than I do. Satan believes in the Bible more than anybody does here. He believes more than anybody, but he ain't right with God. So I'm just saying, faith can't be the same thing as just believing. Otherwise, Satan would be all set. So he, the writer of Hebrews, gives us the definition of faith. He breaks it down for us into two sides of the same coin. If faith is the coin, it's got two sides. The first side of the coin is belief. That's what he says. Look at it. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. So you might be here and you're saying, and I would imagine that the majority of people that would show up at a church service on a weekend would probably say there's a higher power at least. You're agnostic even if you're not like religious, right? Like there's something out there. Okay, I'll, I'll be fine and say that it's, it's God, all right? I, I believe in God. Let's say that you would, you would call that higher power God. Well, you've got to start there, but, and that he rewards those who seek him. That's that second part. It's that he catches you when you, like, if you put all your chips in, you'll win with a pair of queens. That's what pleases God. What pleases God is not that you just believe that he exists, but what, what pleases God is that you believe in him enough that you trust him enough to go all in. Where you don't just put in two, two of your hundred chips you go pot heavy. You're like, oh, well, I'm all in. Boom. That's what pleases God. When we were getting ready in the old building, uh, Ryan, my youngest, was four, year, four years old, and he was eight foot high in the scaffolding, and it was time for us to go, so I went like this. Come on, bud. <laughs> Just to see if he would do it, right? Come on. Ryan was on the other side of the scaffolding, and he turned around, looked toward me, and started running. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh. Like, then I'm like, starting to look, ha, 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 get ready, Right? And he gets to the end of the scaffolding and he launches. And everybody who was like there for the remodel goes, <gasps> right? Ryan was 100% confident something was happening that he couldn't be confident for sure really was going to happen because it hadn't happened yet. What was he 100% confident would happen? Daddy's going to catch me. I caught him. How did my There's only a few moments in my life that I've said I could die right now. On my deathbed, if you were to ask me, Sean, what are your greatest moments from your life? I'm going to always remember when I went like this and Ryan went like this. Dude, trust. That's a trust I don't never want to violate. I don't, like, dear God in heaven, let me die. Like, I will fall under him and break my neck, but that kid won't hit the floor. That's what pleases God. When God goes and you go, Nothing you do that doesn't involve that pleases God. Well, I knew this. So Billy Jane and I were in Denver, and I asked Billy Jane, I said, babe, do you feel right now that our faith is costing us anything? She said, what do you mean? I was like, well, do you think it's, like, risky? Like, are we, is this scary at all? Like, if God doesn't show up, like, are we going to fall on our face? And she goes, no, I guess not. I said, do you think that this is the way that God wants us to live? She said, no. But what does that mean? I said, I don't know. She goes, well, that scares me. And I said, me too. But I knew that God's goal wasn't for me to get to a place where I get really comfortable up on the scaffolding. Let me just pimp out. I probably shouldn't say pimp out, but it fits here. Let me just pimp out the scaffolding. That's not God's plan. Really? 
That God's plan is to rescue people from sin so that they can live safe and comfortably for the rest of their lives. And their little lifeboats while people are drowning in the freezing water all around them. Really? Really? The church is about just making the inside of their little boats nice and comfy. That's what our lives are. If your life is comfortable, can you honestly say that you're living by faith if there's no risk or scariness involved? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is more than just believing he exists. It's putting all your chips on the table. That's what it looks like. So that's what we want to do. We always want to do this. I want to do this personally. You should want to do this personally. Hopefully one of these three verses resonate with you enough that it'll become a part of your decision-making filter. So anytime God gives us a chance to do something scary, if it gives an opportunity for more people to know and follow Jesus, we're going to do it. So at year three, we sent out, 50, our church was 85 people. We sent out 15 people to go start Life Community Church in Quincy. Pastors were saying, well, you guys can't even pay for your own bills. I don't think you guys should be starting another church yet. And my response was, the goal's never been to pay for our own bills. Really? We started church to pay for the bills of a church? Then just don't start the church. You got no bills. We're all set. Right? That can't be the goal. The goal is not to get to 200 so that we can afford a pastor or 500 so we can afford an assistant pastor. The goal is not to get 1,000 so that we can get a bigger building with a nice stage. The goal is to give everybody one opportunity to know and follow Jesus. That's it. That's it. You know when Grace Church will be done? When none of my friends in Little League and Stoyak haven't had a chance, have already had a chance to know and to follow Jesus, that's when we'll be done. I can't make them. That's their call. But dear God in heaven, if they spend eternity separated from God and they were a friend of mine, let it not be because they never had a chance. I don't think I could live with them. So what if I retire and have a couple of houses on the Cape, but everybody I love and care about spends eternity separated from God? I freaking wasted my life. My job is to pay the bills. My job isn't worth living for. This church, Growing Grace Church, you can get anybody to be your preacher. I'll leave this job. You can hire somebody else, but I can't leave Seaver Street. You see what I'm saying? It's not because I'm a preacher. It's because I'm someone who's been rescued. I've got to rearrange my entire life around that. Nothing else matters. Right? You got real quiet. That made me nervous. So at year six, we started another church. At year nine, we started another church. I know three of other, other churches that are within a 20-minute drive of here that don't have one single Jesus-centered, gospel-oriented life-giving church in them. And you live there. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to start a church there, and you're going to have to leave and go help us start that church. You are. We've already committed to starting a church in Hyannis, Yarmouth next summer. What's a, they got 30 people. How are they going to pay their bills? Who's going to pay their bills? Who's going to pay their bills? And by us, who do I mean? <laughs> now you're like, whoa, whoa, easy, preacher. In February, we think we're going to have to add an extra service because of our growth trend right now. Are we going to let this facility keep us from giving more opportunity to know and follow Jesus? 
We saw this coming about a year ago. We keep up with that kind of stuff just so that we can plan ahead. We think that if your business is important enough to watch the numbers and to prepare for, we think that what we're doing as followers of Jesus is is important too. So we're not going to take making disciples, followers of Jesus, any less seriously than you would take the bottom line for your companies, right? So we're going to be just as serious about it. So we began praying, God, what happens like when we fill out this building in five services with still having three years left on the lease? How do we get out of this lease? Where do we go next? We have no idea. And we just spent all this money fixing this place up. What now? Right? But money is just a tool to be leveraged for the glory of God and the good of others. It's not the goal. It's not worth living my life to accumulate. Let my kids fight over it after I'm gone. It's a tool to be leveraged for the glory. So we've been praying about this for a whole year. And then our landlord called us three weeks ago and says, do you guys want the 10,000 square feet next to you? Yes. So how are we going to pay for that? How are we gonna... Do you get what I'm saying? We've already signed a lease on the 10,000 square feet next to us. Three weeks ago, two, actually that was just a week ago where we signed it. We get it February 1st. We're going to push this wall back. It's going to double the size of this auditorium. We'll be able to put twice as many chairs that are in here. Why? Because we're trying to put butts on the seats? No, because we want to make room for as many people as want to know and follow Jesus. That's what the plan has been all along. I have no idea where this is going to take us. But what I know is, I can't do this by myself. So you best buy yourself some jeans, a nice handsaw, and a sweet, awesome hammer, because we got some walls to bust through. Right? That, that starts in January, and that's going to take all of us to make happen. Then what? I don't know. We'll cross it. But what I do know is the moment we stop taking risk and doing scary things is the moment that God takes his blessing off and moves it on to somebody else who will live by faith. He'll be done with us at that point. And that's when we'll start only caring about ourselves and we'll start doing more programs for more Christians to make Christians happy. And God will have left the place two years earlier. You know what I'm saying? So this is just a pit stop. That's all this is. We're at the rest stop on I-90. Great. Let's get out. Let's stretch our legs. Let's grab a hot dog, get your Diet Pepsi, and get your butt back in the car, because guess what? We ain't there yet. We got a lot of miles to go. And I can't wait. (laughs) Scares the crap out of me, but I'm excited about it. So let's pray.